So good to see you guys, um, and these are strange days. If we've never met before, my name's Andy. I'd like to meet you on the count of three. Please give me your name. One, two, three. Nice to, very good, nice to meet you. Um, thankful that you're here, and what a privilege to be here on the last live chapel of an incredibly awkward and strange year. So let me begin with a statement uh, and just jump right in, and then you have to promise me you won't check out based on this statement. You're going to have to let me prove what I'm talking about. Here's the statement. Parents are liars. <laughs> let me just try it one more time. Parents are liars. And I know this because I am a parent of two full-grown adult male children who are in college right now. So what do I mean that parents are liars? Parents say something, and they all say it whenever there's trouble, and they're liars. And do you know what they say? It's okay. It's okay. Do you remember when you were little and you fell down and you busted your knee, and mom ran to you and picked you up? And she said, oh, no, no, no. It's okay. Do you remember when, when dad tried to console you because he or she dumped you and you felt like the world fell apart? It's going to be okay. Here's the truth. It's not okay. When you have a head wound, it's not okay. When your heart is ruptured and life is over, I don't know what to do. It's not okay. Why do parents say this? You know what parents should say? Here's when parents aren't lying. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Right now? It's not okay. And I want to come to you right now and make sure that you hear what I'm saying. It's not okay. I mean, look, you're socially distanced. You're wearing masks. It's easier to sleep in class. I know there's less of your face exposed. But the truth is, this is a hot mess. Can I get an amen? amen. And I want you to know that I want to come with some truth, not a parental lie, not a preacherism. I want to speak the same words that Isaiah spoke a couple thousand years ago, almost 3,000 years ago, when he said, it's not okay, but it can be okay. And someday, everybody say someday. Actually, his word is one day. Everybody say one day. One day. Things are actually going to be okay. I want to take us to Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. We're going to read through it a little slowly, and then I've got some points to make. And I know this may seem a little awkward, but I feel a need. There is a privilege that I have to be here with you. I hope we laugh a little bit. I hope we learn a little bit. I hope we have some hope and expectation. But my prayer for you is that you would be transformed, not by myself or this school, but that the God of the universe will give you a little bit of peace today about where you're going, whether you're going home or you're going on project or whatever is in front, and that you would be able to trust him. So let me take a knee for just a second, just to pray for you as we try and understand this word. Father, you are good even when things are bad. And we hear people try and encourage us, but what we need is truth. And so today we seek your truth, not spoken by Andy, but may your Holy Spirit communicate to us in a new and fresh way. May we get a hold of something in the word that causes us to breathe a sigh of relief in you and to have hope for tomorrow and to know that today is weird and awkward and hard and not what we wanted it to be, but that tomorrow, well, it can be wholly something else. We thank you for this and we ask it all in Christ's name. And all God's people said, okay, as I get ready to read this for you, I just want you to know something. Uh, I'm an old man. 
49 years old. I'm going to be 50 real soon. And I know when I was in your age, I thought everybody over 50 was in a nursing home already, right? So I don't want to try and be cool for you. Uh, I was not cool when I was your age. So there's no chance of me being cool right now. Does that make sense? I want, I want to say that I'm going to be a little self-deprecating right now just because I want to take a pot shot at you. And so if I'm self-deprecating, can I take a pot shot at you now? Is that okay? Now, you know, I'm not trying to be cool. I know who I am. Now let me say something about you and your younger generation. Y'all live with a little bit of drama. Is that a true statement? If you're offended by that, you want to know why? It's because you have drama in your life. You're like, I am not dramatic. Well, that was a very dramatic response to that. What do I mean by drama? I know some of you, and I've heard it because there's a lot of collegiates in my life. I've got two young men who are college students. All their friends are college students. My backyard is full of them on a regular basis because they always use the fire pit. They're coming over. and I just know college students. And here's what I hear all the time. No one has ever had to do what we're doing to go to college and wear masks and socially distance. I can't even get the college experience. No one has ever, in the history of the universe, no one has ever had to endure this. You're right. Because in the past, they just called it the plague and they died. (laughs) And so what I want to say is, yes, this is awkward. Yes, this is tough. But there are still blessings and opportunities even in the middle of a hardship. Can I get an amen? amen? With that being the case, let me just slow walk us through Isaiah 26, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. In that day, everybody say that day. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. Now, pause. We're not even going to read the song just yet. I want to make sure you see this. This is an incredible song. Uh, but it's, if you read in like a print version of the Bible, you see it's indented funny. And whenever it's indented funny, that means it's poetic, which means it was the lyrics. Now, this song is actually a lament. This is not a happy song. This is not K-pop. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is a lament song. It's kind of like you've also received another lie or a misinterpretation. When you graduated high school, did you get one of those cards from one of your religious relatives that had Jeremiah 29, 11 in it? said, I know the plans God has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a future and a hope. That's such a, you're like, oh, yes, God's plans for me. Do you know the rest of that story? If you read the next chapter, what it says is, not you, but your grandchildren. Because for 70 years, life's going to suck for you. You're going to be in exile. But someday, everybody say someday. Everybody say one day. Now, I don't believe that we're talking about your grandchildren today. I think that one day we'll be past masks. One day we'll be past this. We're going to learn a new way to live. We're, going, we're, we're not going to live this way forever. Can I get a hallelujah in the house? But this is a song of lament. It is a song saying there is a day, but I want to make sure you see it. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, before we go a step further, here's what I want to say. There is a day. There is a day. And that day is coming. Amen. Hallelujah. Do a little Holy Spirit dance right there. But what we know is that day is not today. Today, you still wear a mask. Today, we're finishing the semester the most awkward you've ever finished it. There is a day. Everybody say, there is a day. 
There's a good day. There's a redeeming day. There's a change day. There's a happy day, and it's coming. But there are some days in between. There is a day, but there are days in between. And it's the days in between that we have to be faithful. One of those days that we lied to my youngest son, he's 20 years old now, goes to college over in McPherson, and when he was in um, uh, grade school, he broke his arm three times. It became a, just a thing. He's that kid. He has no sense of safety or security or balance, apparently, right? He just kept breaking his arm. Well, one of the times that he broke his arm, he broke it uh, on the school monkey bars, you know, where you do the hand-over-hand walk thing, and they were brand new. He was the third kid on the second day to break his arm. Then they figured out, oh, we probably didn't install these correctly. They didn't actually tighten it up so that you'd grab it and go, it'd spin in your hands. And He was third out of three kids, totally broke his arm. He went into the nurse's office. He had three lies in a row. He said, I think I broke my arm, and she turned around oh, I'm sure you didn't break your arm. And he was holding it here, and it was actually sagging in the middle. His arm was sagging in the middle. Do you know what her first words were? Oh, it's okay. It's okay. They called mom. Mom got there first. Mom looked at his arm and said, oh, sweetie, it's okay. When dad saw him at the hospital, and he was already had his arm on the x-ray table, and they said, move it. He goes, I can't move it. And the, the, the tech got angry with him because he wouldn't move his arm. He says, no, I can't do it. Literally, he couldn't, the muscles, he was telling him. To, she goes, no, you just got to move it. She moved it like that. When she did, his forearm stayed here and his arm moved like that. That's when dad went, oh, okay. It's okay. I nearly blew chunk right there in the x-ray tech room. But we all said it's okay. What we should have said was, it's going to be okay. Because what they did after that, and they took their scans as they wrapped it up, put it in a splint. And they sent us home for three days for the swelling to go down. Then they did surgery. And it came out and they wrapped it up in this huge gauze monstrosity with pins coming out. And then a couple weeks after that, they took all that out and they wrapped them in a new cast. And then several weeks later, they removed the cast and they put it in a partial cast. And then they cut that cast off and they pulled the pins out and they put them in a splint. And after several weeks, now he's okay. Do you know what okay is? Okay is a destination, and what it takes to get from here to okay is a healing process. Everybody, everybody say everybody. everybody. Wherever you are right now, maybe emotionally, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, you're in a difficult place right now, and if I came and said it's okay, I might be able to say some things and make you laugh, and you go home, and you're like, oh, that was good, and 20 minutes later, you're right back there. I want you to know truth. We sing lament songs. Because it's not okay right now. And it is okay to know that it's not okay. It's okay to know that this stinks, that this isn't fun, that I don't like this, that this is not the way I wanted this year of school to go. But we're believers, and there will be a day. Not today, but there are days in between. There is coming a day. Everybody say, there's coming a day. There's coming a day. And that day will be a day in which we see some promises. Now, what's the second part of this? Do we lose the slides? Ah, there is a place to go. There is a place to go. In between, on these days, there's a place to go, and that place is called salvation. It says in this song, in that day, the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Now, that language isn't really familiar to us. That language doesn't make a lot of sense to us, walls and bulwarks, because like we drove here, I drove here today from Hutchinson, passed through Nickerson and into Sterling. If you went back to Jesus' day and before that, you wouldn't pass through those cities. You'd have to go around them. 
because they all had walls, because like Nickerson was always attacking Sterling and trying to steal their farmland. Aren't you glad we don't do that anymore? Right? And lions down the road had a king that was always coming over and stealing the young damsels, right? That was, that, that, that's the way things were. They, they protected themselves with walls and bulwarks. And here's what he's saying. Now make sure you hear this. In this day, not that day, but in this day, you have salvation. It is your city. It is your protection. It is your walls and bulwarks. But what is it? It is salvation. You are not excited enough about that. Salvation. Now, what is that? You want to, I, I know why you're not excited. I actually built this in because I knew you wouldn't be that excited. Because you go to a Christian school, you hear this terminology all the time. You've got this down. First of all, you don't understand salvation. Because you think faith is something you add to your life. You think you have a life and you get to choose whether or not I want to put a little faith in it or not. You completely misunderstand salvation. Have you ever been out in the middle of a lake or out in the ocean and you were not in a boat? I mean, you're bobbing, right? You're, you're, you're just out there and, and a boat comes by. And I don't mean a rowboat. I mean like a cruise ship. And you want to get in that cruise ship. Here's what is going to need to take place. Somebody's going to have to come get you because there is nobody here. Let me check real quick. Yep, nobody here who can walk on water. None of you, when you're treading water, can just go, oh, I want to be out of it and rise up and just prance across the water till you find an exit uh, or, or an entrance hole, a disembarkation location on the cruise ship. And get, no. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how capable you are. Some of you will last longer. Me, I got five minutes max. Some of you could last days and nights. But until somebody comes along and plucks you out, you have no ability to get out of that mess. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. It's an old hymn. And it talks about our sinfulness being like, stuck in the ocean water, and unless a Savior comes and takes us out, you can't push up. You can't tread long enough. You will drown. That's what salvation is. Now, here's the other problem with this. COVID has taught me something. It's a word I did not know. Asymptomatic. Asymptomatic. Do you know what that means? It means that you have the disease even though you didn't even know it. You're walking around as a carrier and a spreader, and you think you're fine, but actually, you know what's going on inside of you? You have the curse. And for many of us, especially if we grew up in church, we are asymptomatic to the disease that requires salvation. We're walking around, and we did not even know that we carried the disease. We didn't know we were spreading it, and we had no idea it was killing us. We need to know that what God has set up for us is not a COVID safe zone. What he's not set up for us is a vaccine that will be the answer. Let, let me tell you what happens next, by the way, with the vaccine. Now we fight over whose vaccine it was and whether it's a good vaccine or not. You want to know why? Because this terrestrial turd ball that we're on never gets any better. Amen? I mean, have hope, but not in any of that, in salvation. Let, let me give you an example. I, I don't know if we're here. Let, let's, let's pretend. Oh, here we go. I got some chairs. Do you mind if I do this real quick? 
let's pretend that these aren't chairs. This is a cliff. And this is another cliff. And between these cliffs is nothing but death and devastation. And you and I, all of us, we're over here. Now, this is to give you scale. We're all about this big on this side over here. Okay, every, every, just the whole, you said about 90 of us, you think, here? Let's even include those of you and the viewing audience at home. So 92 of us. Here we go. We're all, we're all over here, right? And all of a sudden, somebody realizes, this is a horrible place to be. I won't be here anymore. There's nothing but rot and heartache and pain. And you can see over here, this is glory. Oh, the international sound of glory. There it is. Oh, we all want to be over here. There's glory and peace and hope. And so here, here's what we got. I don't know. What's your name? Neil? Nilo. So Nilo, he leads away. He's sitting on the front row. He looks like a leader, right? And so Nilo goes, I got this. And he goes, and he jumps. And and all we hear is, that was a bad plan. That was a bad plan. And then some of you, I saw some, some athletes come in the room. It was obvious because you had one-word shirts, football, you know, right? <laughs> uh, I know you're here, right? And, and so you, you get together, you go, oh, we got a better plan than that. Nilo, he was just, this is a team sport. And so you, you take uh, all those sweatshirts together. You make one of those slingshots, right? And you put a light little girl in that thing. You go, we're going to get her across. And you, and you pull back, and you let go. And you go, Sterling, right? <laughs> I'll look around and say, well, that's what coach said to do. It's not my fault, right? <laughs> and you got Pastor Michael. Pa- Pastor, oh, he's got hope. He's got hope. So he actually walks and he floats on his holiness for about three steps. Ah. We think, well, we didn't think he was much of a pastor anyway, so... Paul, though, he's our chaplain. Paul takes one step off and immediately incinerates. He just, <laughs> just bursts into a ball of flame. And pretty much the 87 of us that are left, we go, we're not making it across. We're not making it. There's a verse of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. Remember what we're talking about. He's provided us a place to go that is salvation. The wages is Help me out. This is the interactive portion of our time together. What is a wage? Something college students don't get, right? It's, it's payment. It's, 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 it's a salary. For the wages of sin. Now, that's the job. And do you know what sin is? Sin is literally a sports term. The word sin is not a religious term. They borrowed it from 15th century archery. If I was shooting at a target and I hit the bullseye of the target, they would say, mark. But if I hit just outside, way outside, or missed entirely, the scorekeeper would yell out, sin, because you missed the mark. For the wages, the payment of us missing the standard of God by any degree, a little or a lot, is death. Uh, 
But I thank God for the big old buts in the Bible. Because if that verse said, for the wages of sin is death, period, that'd be the worst verse that the Bible ever gave us. It's not what it says. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Now help me out. So we define this. What's a gift? Something you receive. For how much? For free. A gift is something you So it's not a wage. It's a gift. Now where do gifts come from? Grandparents. Right? But this is the gift of God. That God gives a gift. And it's the opposite of that. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life. And all 87 of us over here go, I want that. That's why we don't want to be over here. I want that. I didn't even know I wanted that. I didn't know this was so bad. I'm asymptomatic, but now I see it. I've been tested. I am sin positive. And I want to be over there. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The verse isn't over. It's got one more phrase. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the cross of Christ spans the gap and lets all those little tiny boogers, you and me, run right across. (laughs) So we can get from there to there. You see, the reason this is important is because we all have a disease that's far more prevalent than COVID. And you don't need to get tested. You have it. There's only one cure. And it is salvation. And you can't pull yourself up. You can't behave. You can't get better at this thing. Somebody's got to come and pull you out of the water. And one day, everybody say one day. Nice and loud. Everybody say one day. One day. He has set up salvation for us. One day. We keep going, though. There's also a plan. And the plan is to enter in. I know this sounds funny, but what does it say? We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. That's what protects us. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith faith, may enter in. I love this because here's the second part. What is it? There is a plan, but you got to enter in. Let's just say we were still back in the city-state days and Nickerson was causing sterling trouble. They've been raiding the city. They came and stole, you know, ice cream from the dairy dump over there, right? That they, what do we call it actually? Sorry. Dairy lamb, sorry. (laughs) That's the, the the Sterling people always told me that's what they called it. Uh, It's good stuff. Uh, So they kept the other end of town. They're stealing from Subway. We got a Subway on the other end of town, right? Yeah. Lions are stealing from the Subway. So, so we're, we're just really mad. We fortify the walls. We get it where it needs to be. and, And all of a sudden we see the raiding party coming from Nickerson. We see him ah, at a distance. We're like, "Woo! we are protected. Look at those city walls. Look at those gates. And the gates are closing, but you're still standing outside. You're like, isn't that great? We have a great city. We have great defense. And the gates are coming closed like this. And people are going, come on in. Like, no, man, I am so proud of Sterling. Look at these gates. And that's idiotic. 
The only way that city wall is going to protect you is you got to be inside. Everybody say inside. Do you know what? I've been a pastor. I've been a vocational pastor. Next April, it'll be 30 years. I've been pastoring two-thirds or a third longer than most of you have been alive. And so I can state this. Do I do the math right on that? You're like 20-ish. So a third longer? Yeah, something like that. That's why I'm a pastor. I don't do math. So I can make this statement, and I can make it with some amount of credibility. The vast majority of Christendom in America actually aren't Christians. They know about Christianity. They appreciate Christianity. They can identify Christianity. They can even proclaim Christianity. But they have never entered in. There's a huge difference between knowing about something, appreciating something, even proclaiming something, and actually becoming something. My other son, Noah, who's going to graduate from Wichita State this, uh, hopefully this next spring, um, when he was six years old, he saw a commercial on TV for Walt Disney Productions, and it had uh, one of those openers for Disneyland. Now, I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Montebello, just outside of Anaheim, and, and so I, I, I've been to Disneyland hundreds of times, and he's asked me about it, and I said, yeah, it was great. Well, one day we got junk mail from a travel company, and it had Disneyland stuff on it. My little six-year-old boy took that letter with a piece of Scotch tape and stuck it to the kitchen cabinet there where we all have breakfast every morning. I said, what's this? And he looked at his mom and me with a mouthful of Captain Crunch, and he went, we're going there. At six, he's declaring to the family, we're going there. And I'm like, oh, sure we are. Yeah, it ain't going to happen. And I did not realize that it was actually a conspiracy. His mom had given him that and said, tell your dad we're going there. So we made plans. We were going to go next summer. And for the next year, every Disney movie, he would say, is that a ride? I go, no, that's not a ride. Is that a song they sing? Well, yeah, that is. You can, did you meet Mickey? Yeah, yeah, I did. And he was getting more and more excited and more and more excited about Disneyland. And we would read books. And then we would get on the web and we would surf and look at pictures. And we planned our day. What are we going to do first when we go there? And, and, and he was so excited. And then one day we got on a plane and we flew to California. And we got a rental car, and we checked into a hotel, and we laid our clothes out for the next day, got up bright and early, and we bought our tickets to get into Disneyland. And if you've never been to Disneyland, I'm not talking about Disney World, that cheap knockoff in Florida. I'm talking about the real one in Anaheim, California, the original. If you walk onto the main street of Disneyland, where all the shops are, and the characters are dancing, and you can see the magic kingdom from the beginning of all the movies, the Disney movies, and there it is where you can see the small world, it is a magical moment. But for my son, my now seven-year-old son, when he stood there and he looked down that street, I could see on his face that everything changed. He literally had water welling up in his eyes. I had to take a knee with him and go, are you okay? And he's like, we're here. He had such a great time. The pictures were great. The movies were fun. But when we arrived, it was a whole different experience. Do you know why I love coming to 
to schools that proclaim Christ and coming to chapel when I know that 99% of you believe that you're okay and believe that you're fine? It's because I know that there's a handful of you here who grew up so close to it, you don't know you're missing it. You've heard it preached so many times that you think it's you, but it's actually not you. And there's this chance that in your heart and your mind, something today, not because of me, but because of the Holy Spirit, might just go. And everything changes because you enter in. It's a beautiful moment. Nobody's calling you out. If you're like, how dare you say this? That's probably the Holy Spirit talking to you because I don't know, I don't know any of you. But let me just tell you this. If you appreciate it, you know it, you love it, you point at it, but you haven't entered in, you're missing it. To enter in. Everybody say, enter in. The passage keeps going. There's also a hope. Oh, and this is good news. That in the middle of all this mess, peace is possible. My very favorite verse, I was joking with the guys earlier, that every time I preach, it's my favorite verse. Actually, this is my favorite verse. The verse from Isaiah 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace. Everybody say perfect peace. Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Matter of fact, I can prove this one's my favorite verse. If you went with me to Riverbend, Texas, actually Glen Rose, Texas, a campground called Riverbend Retreat Center, they have memorial stones all over. And there's a camp that I have preached for 20 years. And the kids at that camp took an offering and they put a memorial stone up. It says, Pastor Andy had his kids at camp. And then it has this verse on it. Because this verse, here's what I love. You love peace? Oh, I love peace. Oh, I love peace. But let me tell you, first of all, what peace is by telling you what it isn't. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is not getting what you lacked. Like if some of you said, I'm just, I'm torn up. My number one issue right now is I need money. I am so out of money. I'm in college. College is the Greek word that stands for broke, right? I got, I got nothing. And if I just had a big old bag of money, my whole life would be better. I bet some of you have thought that. I bet some of you prayed that prayer this morning. If I just had a big old bag of money, everything would be better. And if you got a big, let's just say, let's just say, this is Oprah Winfrey show right now. Everybody who attended chapel today, $90,000 under your chair. Look under your chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be great? If I gave every one of you $90,000, first of all, I'd be going to jail because I robbed a bank somewhere. (laughs) But if you had 90, if you literally walked out of here with 90K in cash, you would have peace. Until tomorrow. Because some of you yahoos would spend 95 today. You see, that didn't give you peace. They say, well, we finally have peace because the war is over. No, you have a de-escalation in violent activities. Do you know what peace is? Are you ready for this? Peace is something you have even when the circumstances don't change. Peace is the conversation that I had this morning on the way here with a woman who's come to live her final days with her daughter as she's now in hospice for the holidays, who just wants me to stop by and pray with her while we plan her service. 
peace says, I have something that can't be taken away. Now the best part of this, if you missed it, you keep in perfect peace. You keep in perfect peace. Not me. I don't have to achieve it. I don't have to hold it. You keep in perfect peace. You know how I know there's a God? Not that he's answered prayers. He has done that. Do you know how I know there's a God? I know there's a God because I've seen him answer prayers. Let me me just share this with you real quick. I have prayed and seen miracles take place. I'm not a Pentecostal. I'm a Southern Baptist, so I know it's really weird for me to say that. But I have literally had God get me up off the couch on a Sunday afternoon to go pray for a little boy named Tanner Milburn at Cook's Memorial Hospital in Fort Worth, Texas. And I told God, I said, it's silly. I already prayed for him. He goes, you didn't pray for him like I want you to pray for him. I drove across the city. I laid hands on this little boy and went back home knowing that I was going to go to a very difficult surgery in which he, at three years old, would be on a colostomy bag for the rest of his life. And when I got up and got dressed that morning, his mother called me frantic, crying, could hardly understand her, said, don't come. There's no surgery. The doctor says everything worked itself out, whatever that means. I know there's a God because I've seen him answer those prayers, but that's not really why I know there's a God. Do you know why I know there's a God? It's because he has given me peace and courage and energy when I shouldn't have it. That's that's how I know that there is a God. It says that you keep him in perfect peace. Here's the last part. Whose mind has stayed on you. That's the key. How do you do that? How how do you tap into that? How How do you enjoy that part of the God life? His mind has stayed on you. Anybody here ever had braces growing up? Maybe you have them right now. Anybody have braces, right? Or significant dental work. How about that? Anybody ever have a significant dental work? If you've ever had that happen, you, you know what I'm talking about here. As soon as you get like a new tooth or a new something in your mouth, what does your tongue do for the next seven days? It will not leave it alone, right? For seven days, your tongue's like, hey, did you know this is in here? Whoa, did you feel this? There's something in here. Boy, hey, hey, we need to have a conversation. There's something. And it's like calling. <laughs> It's so annoying. And you even, all of a sudden, your tongue starts hurting. You're like, stop doing that. Your tongue's like, I can't stop. There's something new here. And it just keeps touching the spot. And you start having a conversation. Quit touching it. And your tongue's like, I can't. And, you're like, and the tongue says, I'm so sore. Well, it would quit hurting if you would quit focusing on it. Does anybody smell a little bit what I'm cooking? We spend so much time focusing on our problems instead of the problem solver. We spend all of our energy on the mountain instead of the mountain mover. But he is the one who will keep us in perfect peace if our mind is stayed on him. Last thought. And there is a reason to trust. Why would we put our trust in this? Why would we do this? Because he is forever. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting an everlasting rock. Can I do this in two minutes? Yes, I can do this. Moses, one of the great characters of the Old Testament, he made some bad career decisions. I don't know if you know his story. Moses was uh, in the palace. He had everything going for him. He knew what he wanted to do. He wanted to become a social activist and was going to redeem his people and, you know, throw it in his daddy's face, right, the Pharaoh. 
And he took it into his own hands, and uh, late one night he killed a guy. And even the guy he was trying to defend were like, why'd you kill the guy? Now they're going to be mad at us. And, the, and everything went haywire. So he ended up leaving the palace, and for 40 years, everybody say 40 years. 40 years, he's a goat herder in the middle of nowhere in a place called Midian. And one day as he's out there pondering his poor career choices and saying, man, I wish I'd finished school at Sterling, all that kind of stuff. He sees a bush that is aflame yet not consumed. And he decides to check it out. A burning bush, but not burning up. And when he gets close to the bush, the bush says, you've been in church too long. You did not respond to that. Let me try it one more time. The bush says, it's weird, right? Let me give you a hint right now. If a bush ever talks to you, do what it says. And the bush said, take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. And Moses kicked off his chucks, came a couple steps closer, and the bush said, I'm the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I have come to let you know that I am about to set my people free. And Moses was like, "Woo! down with that. That is goodness. I wanted to do it too. And he goes, and I'm going to use you to do it. And Moses was like, time out. I already tried it. They don't trust me. Plus, I got some anger issues. I'm not really doing well with this. I want you to do it. I can't. I have a speech impediment. That's what he said. And it's really funny. I love this because as God is arguing with Moses, he's like, yeah, you kind of do. Why don't you take your brother? <laughs> and he'll do the talking for you. <laughs> well, they're not going to believe me, God. They're not going to believe me coming out of the desert. That He goes, pick up a stick. Got it. Throw it down. Turn into a snake. Pretty cool. Pick it up. I don't want to. Pick it up. He picks it up again, turns back into a stick. Okay, that's good. But they got magicians who will do the same thing. Then I will bring fire and flames and cloud the moon and I will, uh, gnats and frogs. Just weird, random things, right? And Moses says, that's all good, God. But you know what would be better? How about you let me tell them who sent me? Well, tell them. The God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God, they've been singing that song for 400 years. That one day song. That one day things are going to get better. And for 400 years. God's like, well, then what do you want? I want to know your name. Do you remember the day you figured out that your mom had a name? Somebody called her like Betty and you're like, oh. He says, God, I want to know your name. Your name. And God gave Moses his name. Now, what's crazy is he didn't give him a name that's a proper noun. Not even a person, place, or thing. God named himself a verb. You may have heard it used in songs. Yahweh. Yahweh. Do you know what Yahweh is, though? In English, it is the perfect, ongoing, active form of the verb that means I am. So when God gave his name, here's what he said. I am. 
I'm the one who was and is and is to come. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the ending. I was here before you. I'm here with you. I'll be here long after you. I was the same yesterday, today, and forever. I am here. I am now. I am then. I am forever. I am the great I am. And while you have walked through this, I have still been. And when you will get through to the end, I will be there. And as you have been there from the beginning, I have sustained. I am the great I am. Moses said, that'll work. We can trust that. There is a day. It's not today. I wish, I hope I'm wrong. If the horn sounds and the eastern skies roll back and Jesus descends, hallelujah. I'll be the first one to heaven and go, I was wrong. It's today. But it's probably not today. But there is a day. Look at me. There is a day. We just be faithful to the one who is forever faithful to us on the days in between. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. And I pray that these students who have endured and done crazy, weird, awkward things, that they would be rewarded by a peace that comes from you. And I pray in the name of Jesus that if any of us have known of your kingdom, have trusted uh, in the words that we've heard, but we have never entered in today, we commit to you. Let us experience this and not just know about it. For you are the only one who can save, and we believe in the Jesus who is the forever lasting rock. It's in Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said.